0: Welcome back to the What the Folk Sunland Preview podcast. Depending on your definition of a derby, it's officially Derby Week on Wearside. No, we're not facing our Saudi loving, silly dancing, Ponteland Airport claiming, I'd love it if we beat them. I tell you, love it. Neighbours from Eight Mile Up the Road. But indeed, we are facing our far more pleasant, Janine, worship are worshipping, Eaton. It's only really a derby if we beat them, pretend the enemies from Middlesbrough, the stadium alight. On the rather annoying time of twelve noon this Sunday, thankfully, I've somehow managed to get one of those grr, big, horrible borough enemies onto the podcast in the shape of the lovely Tom from the rather excellent Borough Breakdown. Tom, that was a long ass intro. How are you doing, mate? Are you okay?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm doing quality, mate. Thanks. How are you?
0: Yeah, I just couldn't resist getting the digging at the mags, so uh, I thought <laughs> I might as well. It's not. I am all for it. Yeah, yeah. Why not? I didn't think you'd disagree with me, so I'm all happy with that. But. Um, We normally start in a different way and talk about recent form, but as it is a quote-unquote derby, let's get one thing out of the way here. We've got an alleged Borough legend in our dugout. You've got a Newcastle fan in yours. Um, I think there's many on both sides. I probably don't see it as a a massive derby. But how much does that add to Borough fans? Um, Sort of excitement for the game with Mowbray being in charge on um, Sunday?
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's a bit of a weird one, uh, to be honest. It's... You know, probably not somewhere we would have expected to ever come up against Mowbray, but you know, he's had his um, had his time at Borough. Uh, you know, went to, went to Blackburn from there. We we couldn't have kind of argued, and um, yeah, I suppose it was a, a good opportunity for him. It's just it's just a bit strange, isn't it? You you never expect to see like a club legend in in your your rivals' dugout. Like you wouldn't expect to see like Niall Quinn in our dugout, or even would you? It'd just be strange.
0: Yeah, it's a bit odd because obviously we've had players that have gone to and from, and I think probably the biggest like icon for us that went on to do really well for Hughes was, off the top of my head, Julio Arca, and um, yeah, it was a bit odd, and when he scored against us, I know we didn't celebrate and stuff, but um, Arca's probably just out of that, like iconic legends like Quinn, Mowbray, Bernie Slaven for Hughes, and and you just never really expected it to be, and to be fair, he's doing a pretty fine job, but he said something the other week and it did make me laugh because I thought, I don't know what Borough fans think about that. Because um, I don't think you can hear in his accent the way that he speaks and you know, everyone who knows his history knows Mowbray is proper Borough. But he came out the other week and he said, are the biggest club in the championship. I don't know whether you heard it, but how did Borough fans react to that if you did? To be honest, there wasn't that much reaction. Um, I
1: think from us, I, I did hear it. And I was uh, a bit surprised to hear him say that, but um, no, I, I don't think that that kind of really made the made the rounds about us. I think at the moment we're kind of preoccupied with with how we're doing at the league and the you know the the turnaround that uh, Michael Carrick's produced. So I don't know if that's just kind of flew under the radar a little bit. But I didn't see any reaction really at all from from our side for that comment.
0: It's funny, obviously, I don't want to stick on Mowbray too long, but I've started with him, so I'll, I'll finish with him. Um, I think with, with Tony Mowbray, he's obviously very well liked and he didn't get too bad of a reaction. I was at the game at the Riverside and obviously he didn't get too bad of a reaction. But um, because, it, like I say, it's, it's a derby, not a derby, isn't it? But has his appointment at Sunderland and his kind of subsequent relationship with Sunderland now, because he's done quite well, soured his legendary status with any Borough fans? Or is it just like, it is what it is?
1: I think it's more it is what it is, yeah. I mean, weirdly, um, I can't remember who you guys were played. I think it might have been Norwich on the day where he was kind of first spotted in the stadium. Yeah. Um, so me and, and Johnny from uh, from Borough Breakdown, we were in hospitality for, for our game against Swansea that day. Of course, you guys were the early kickoff, and he was actually in the box with us uh, on that day, so he's clearly gone to the Sunderland game and then came back to, to watch Borough, but... he he always kind of talks about it every time he's been anywhere else. Like, you know, when he's, he's been at Blackburn and stuff, he's, he's always kind of saying, uh, you know, I've, I've been back to, to, to Borough to watch me, my kids play football on a Sunday and people come and talk to us about Borough and stuff like that. I think, I think because he's had his time at Borough and he, he did kind of, I think a lot of people were sad that he had to leave at that point. Um, you know, he was obviously replaced by Karanka, who did very well, but we all kind of look back on that and, and like realize that Mowbray did lay a lot of the foundations for uh what was to come under Karanka. I think you left with a lot of good feeling from from Bora fans. And I, I don't think I, I don't think there's there's too much that could kind of sour that, that legendary status, to be honest.
0: It's interesting I'm going to come back to that because you, you touched on something about Himalayan Foundations which is a really interesting comment I will come back to it because most interestingly obviously we want to move away from um, our gaffer for a, a wee bit obviously if I'm honest with you I've been a bit jealous of both the appointments Borough have made um, the last two obviously one's worked out so far one really didn't but I thought Michael Carrick was a, a really excellent appointment I think he's as a player potentially one of the most underrated players that's ever existed in, in the last 20 years Terrific player, didn't play half enough for England as he should have done, but um, an excellent appointment. And I think obviously his, his stature as a coach was really highly rated, but he's had an immediate impact. That does sometimes happen, but we're now talking, he's going into six, seven games where he's winning them off back to back. What has he actually done that's created such an improvement in Borough?
1: I think there's a couple of things. I think the the thing people will notice the most when the the watchers plays the change in formation. We've gone from that that kind of famous five three two under 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 Chris Wilder with the overlapping centre backs, to uh, a four at the back. Uh, it's it's kind of more of a four two three one, but. Uh, kind of an asymmetric one, and I'm sure anyone who plays football manager who listens is really going to appreciate that. But uh, on you'll notice it on our left hand side, uh, Riley McGree plays on the left of that that free uh, behind the striker, but he's not a left winger. Um, he's kind of more of a, a playmaker, like a number ten, floating around the left hand side. And 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 what you you have on that left hand side is Ryan Giles, who. The, the main strength for him is his distribution. It's it, it's not really as a as a defensive left-back, so you've got him overlapping quite a lot. And then in the middle, you've got Hayden Hackney, who he's, he's... Well, Leo brought in when he was caretaker manager. Carrick's kind of continued that and helped development as a player. Uh, and also got Chuba Barakpom playing in the number 10 role, which was... Um, you know, spotted pretty much as, as as soon as he came in that that he could play that role and would be effective in that role, and I, I think he scored and all but all but two, I think of the the games might be all but three now after after Millwall um, that that Carrick's been in charge. So in terms of the formation, there it's it's really been moving things around to kind of really play to everyone's strengths. There there was always an emphasis on possession anyway under Chris Wilder, so. I don't know if you might have seen it, but there was uh, something that Sport Bible picked up on a couple of weeks ago. It was like a viral TikTok video uh, where it was kind of breaking down Carrick's time, a borough over the, the, what, nine or 10 games he'd had at that point and comparing us to like, you know, Barcelona and like Man United and stuff with some of the, the play patterns. And that that's maybe over exaggerating a little bit because I think the, to go back to what I said earlier, the foundations were really there from under Chris Wilder anyway, uh, under playing possession football. Uh, and that that's where the the other part of what Carrick's done uh, kind of really comes into it as well because he's came and he's, he's had to pick those players up um, under Chris Wilder. What we had, especially this season, where you know we've had all, we had all the stuff um, regarding the links to Burnley, and especially during the summer, it it did seem like he was really trying to get his own way, and the club wanted to go a different way, and it did seem kind of really soured, um, but. You had poor displays, but Chris Wilder throwing players under the bus in, in post-match interviews. There was a point, um, I can't remember who it was against, but he blamed eight individual mistakes in the lead-up to a goal. And we covered it on the pod. We were like, you can't blame eight individual mistakes on, on the run-up to a, a goal. That's your job. That's your individual mistake for for not having the players drilled to to kind of effectively cope with that. So the other thing Carrick had to do as soon as he came in was pick those players up and and kind of really uh, you know put the arm around and man manage them and and get them playing with confidence again. Because we had a good team uh, to begin the season with. Um, you know, I think one of the things that Chris Wildy's come up, uh, you know, come out about in the in the interviews, especially during the transfer window, was promises about marquee signings, and and you know, some of our fans kind of really picked up on that. But realistically, are many of the championship teams signing Zach Steffen and Ryan Giles, and you know, especially Zach Steffen and paying him the type of money that he's likely on? I generally think that they were the marquee signings that that. Um, that he he kept mentioning so we had a strong squad anyway and they don't all turn rubbish overnight which you know they they were getting uh, a lot of stick at that time so I think what Carrick's done in in terms of coming in motivating them but also fitting them seamlessly into this new system um, you know he has done quite a lot but He'll say it was tweaks, and you can kind of see what he means with, in, in terms of foundations already being there, and, and and like I said, just just kind of moving some pieces around and and picking the players
0: up. Interesting, you're such a wilder there because obviously we spoke earlier in the season. I spoke on, on your podcast, and obviously um obviously your, your pal was on mine and stuff like that. Johnny was on mine, Um and I remember speaking to him about Wilder, and he was saying positive things, but the way I was hearing it was like. I really hope it works out, but I'm starting to really, really worry here. Hmm. And I picked it up from yourself, obviously when it come in yours as well. And you could almost feel in, in the ground. The atmosphere was really good at the Riverside. I've got to be honest, it was a good atmosphere that night. Um, it felt more like a all because the atmosphere was good. But the in terms of the feeling around the ground, you could see Borough fans were 100% confident. They were like, mm, well, we'll see. And it felt it all emanated from, from Chris Wilder. Now, we a few weeks previous with Alex Neil stuff obviously had Alex Neal who then went to Stoke and he just went and yada yada yada. and then Mowbray comes in but with Wilder it felt like he was flirting with like a load of different clubs and it felt like that really affected his time at Borough because there's no denying Chris Wilder's a good manager seems like a decent enough bloke um, apart from the time when he blamed us for Jack Rodwell being absolutely shite um, don't understand why he found that one that indicates he's maybe not as nice a bloke as I thought he was. But I think in all seriousness, you can see the, the job while they did at Sheffield United. He did a good job elsewhere as well, but just didn't click at Borough. Is it as simple as saying that it just felt like he didn't want to be there and that kind of went on to the fans that then went on to the players? Or was there, was there just more to it?
1: I, I think you you're spot on with that because it really coincides with those Burnley links when we started going downhill. If you'd have seen us um, you know, first 10 games, maybe 10, 15 games of, of Wilder's reign, we were playing some outstanding football when, when he came in. Uh you know, we we played, I don't know if it was Forrest we played on Boxing Day, but we, we absolutely ripped them apart. You know, our pressing at, at that point, we pressed them so well that Dean Yates ended up scoring a, an own goal when they were trying to play out from the back. And we we were doing great, and then those Burnley links came along, and we started uh, stumble a little bit, and we never really picked up any that that same form towards the end of the season. We came back from the international break, beat Peterborough one, and then went downhill straight away again. Um, so I do think it was it was that he was you know flirting with with other clubs, and you know Kevin Scott's done quite a few interviews our head of football since Wilder left. And reading between the lines of, of what he's saying, and he he doesn't come out and say it directly or name Chris Wilder or anything like that. It just sounds like Chris Wilder was constantly looking at other clubs, and also refused to kind of work in the same kind of system, um, the, the the same kind of structure. Sorry, that that we want to wanted to work in, because as soon as Michael Carrick came in, um. What's-his-face? <laughs> Kieran Scott was, was saying, um, you know, my, my job really kind of starts now in, in terms of the recruitment. And, you know, we've restructured the whole scouting department since, that, since that's happened. And Wilder was the manager, Carrick's the head coach. It, it really seems like there is there is quite a difference there. And earlier in the season, um, I, I will say the, the last pre-season game that we had uh, at the Riverside we played Marseille, we absolutely battered them and played some absolutely fantastic football that night. And then as soon as the season started, it, we, we were unlucky in the first couple of games, I would say, um, West Brom, Stoke, Sheffield United, but we never really seemed to, to get running. And, you know, I spoke to uh, the Shoreham View uh, around the time we played Sheffield United at home, which I think was four games in and we're like, "Oh, it's fine. Wild is always a slow start but the longer it kind of dragged on, the more we were kind of like, when are we actually going to pick up? And you mentioned it earlier, the, the game against Sunderland at Riverside, fans uh, feeling nervous. That was definitely the case. You know, that that 1-0 win, I mean, it it, it came, you know, it was a, it was a hard, hard game. And I think we were possibly quite lucky at that point that Ross Stewart got injured in the warm-up. Because I thought LSM's had a very good game and was a handful that night. And it just looked dangerous all the time. And we were all kind of very nervous. That that goal definitely helped lift us a little bit. But I think even after that, you guys were looking dangerous. And the way we were playing at that point, I am i wouldn't be so. Well, I would say quite a few of us were surprised that that we held on and managed to keep a clean sheet. Obviously, we were absolutely buzzing about it because, you know, I think depending on how old you are and where you're from, here it is still a derby. But um, yeah, it, it was it was a very tough game, and like we've both said, the, the atmosphere that night it was very edgy. Uh, so it was just it was probably for the best at that point that we came through it. It probably bought Wilder a little bit more time as well. I would say.
0: Yeah, it did feel like it bought more time because I felt like I, I honestly thought we'd kick on a little bit from there because I thought, all right, okay, there's the kind of win that I mean, in this division, you know, it is probably the biggest game. I know people disagree with me on that, but like, although I don't really, it's it's not as same as the Newcastle game. It's nowhere near, but it, it's still like a, a game to get your teeth into, if you for want yeah. of a better word. Um, and I thought you'd really kick on from there, but it's, it's interesting you touched on how you felt the game was um, nervy all night because. I think a lot of Sunderland fans will remember that game as being like one of our poorer performances of the season. But I think we spoke about it on our podcast afterwards and said we always felt like we were in it, even though we probably shouldn't have been. Mm. Um, but when I look at like the circumstances surrounding that game, obviously we lost Ross Stewart eight minutes before kickoff, which really wasn't helpful. And I remember the atmosphere around the that your way was like, for want of a better word, oh, shite. Um, it was like, brilliant, well, what do we do now? And then I think Tony Moeby spoke about how he yeah, had change it and stuff like that. Correct me if I'm wrong, I think that was Ahmed Diallo's debut and I think everyone can see how good ahmad has gone on to be. Um, but then on the flip side, you know, Middlesbrough at the same time under a different manager, they were very nervy, different things were happening. So talking of that game, Stuart's back. Um, so it's not going to take us 45 minutes to get into the game like they did last time. Mowbray and team are far more settled. On the flip side, Middlesbrough is a completely different beast to what they were then. How different do you think this game is going to be in comparison to that game earlier in the season?
1: I think it's going to be very different. I will say for that game earlier in the season as well, I don't think either team was playing to their full potential. I think looking at the the games we, we previously had under Wilder, that was absolutely nowhere near the level it could have been. And I think, like you say, a lot of Sunderland fans would say it was one of the poorer performances, one of my best mates as a Sunderland fan. And I know he definitely said that to me um, that night. Um, you know, I think if I'm remembering rightly, Jack Clark had a bit of a shocker that game.
0: Oh, it was horrendous that night. And I really yeah. like Jack, but he was awful that night. <laughs> he absolutely done my head in every cross, went about 40 yards in the stand.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly what I can remember. And um, uh, Pritchard probably should have scored quite early in the game as well. Yeah. Um, so like, like you say, it, it's completely different, com- completely different now. I think with the, the influence of, of Carrick and being quite a, quite a calm figure, I think as you'd probably expect from watching his playing career, I do think that we won't get carried away with what you could possibly usually expect from from a, you know a derby game. Uh, where, you know, there might be tackles flying and all over the place and stuff. I still think we're going to be trying to play our game and I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, you, you guys will will still be playing exactly the same way you as have been anyway. So it's, it's going to be an interesting one to watch. I think these games are always the type where form and, and, and stuff like that can, can go out the window, but I, I don't expect that so much this time because I think both teams are are really settled and I think it's going to be well it's not going to be hard but it's going to be a much better game than earlier in the season
0: Yeah I think so as well I think um, it, it did take us 45 minutes to get going because of I think Stu being injured and you had like eight minutes to change it and bring someone else in and, and like you said it was a really nervy game but um, Carrick's obviously in charge was touching Carrick a little bit <laughs> In terms of the way Borough play now, I'll be honest, you haven't really been on the telly that much. So I've only seen the highlights and there's not much you can talk about from goals. You're like, oh, there, Borough won again. So things have obviously changed, but is the style that different? Because you touch touched before and it been tweaks, but is the style that different from what Wilder had you playing or is it just playing the same similar style with more confidence?
1: Um, I, I would say it's still possession style with more confidence, but there are quite a few tweaks. As I mentioned earlier on that left-hand side, we're mainly looking for overlaps from Giles to be able to get his crosses in. Um, I think at this point he's still top for assists in the league, and Akpom still top scorer, and that's that's pretty much why because of you know Giles' uh, crosses into the box, Akpom being in the right place, right time, and getting his head on stuff. Um, but we also do something now which we didn't do a lot under Wilder, which was just playing out from the back and really utilising Zach Stefan. Which some of our fans really dislike because they just think as soon as he has the ball at his feet, he should be kicking it long. Um, but we we tend to to kind of play through in the middle and try and get Housen or Hackney on the half turn uh, and and really kind of play through through any press or. So, I would say that that was something that we weren't doing under Wilder despite having Stefan. I think a lot of his distribution at that point was to uh, Crooks and kind of that right centre mid uh, position. But but what you will also notice as as well, um, you know, for anyone who, you know, is, is familiar with Matt Crooks and Marcus Force, Matt Crooks is actually playing as our number nine at the moment, which we would never have expected. As a you know six foot four centre midfielder, um, he's kind of playing as that, that pressing forward. He's always had the the capability to pressing him, I think, because when we really kind of started that pressing style under under Wilder, he was the one leading it from the, the right center midfield slot and did well at it. Um, but also Marcus Force is playing on the right hand side. Now uh, instead of Isaiah Jones, uh, who was completely dropped for the last game just to kind of take him out of the spotlight, apparently. Um, so, yeah, he, he's kind of being, being managed at the moment and, and trying to get him back to his best. But Force is actually doing all right on the right-hand side. Uh, he scored in the last game from cutting inside onto his left foot and hitting a absolutely great strike into the bottom corner past the uh, past the middle wall keeper. But he's not playing as kind of a traditional winner, uh, winger. He has in the last couple of uh, couple of games brought out quite a few stepovers and a, a touch pass to the defender out of nowhere, which I've never seen him do before. So maybe he's uh, trying to incorporate that into his game a little bit. But um, yeah, he, he's kind of playing more the way that we had uh, Christian Stuani playing on the right wing um, when, when you know un, under the uh, crank it is, So it, it, it's kind of like having a striker on the right, a striker in the number ten slot, and a centre midfielder playing as a striker in the number nine slot. So that that kind of combination seems to be working for us quite well at the moment as well. Um, but like I say, it, it, it is still possession style with a lot more confidence and uh, and you can definitely tell that from from the players when they get the ball.
0: I wanted to come back to it. I've just remembered because I said I'd come back to it, so I better do so. Um, Tony Mowbray, obviously from our side, you touched on him before when you said Boris setting a lot of the foundations now. I think I said at the time I wasn't sure about Mowbray's a new appointment. It certainly wasn't an exciting one. No offense, Tony. Um sort of four months down the line, I actually really like him. He's a bit like a granddad. He looks after the young players really well. And we have the, I think it's the joint lowest, squ- um, lowest average age for the, the squad. And a lot of our players are under the age of 24 because it fits a model. Um, do you think Sunderland fans are seeing the benefit of what Borough fans eventually got from Tony Mowbray? Like, do you think he's like, the kind of manager that will lay really good foundations for Sunderland essentially like he did at Borough. And then when the next manager comes in, he's going to benefit from that. Is that Tony Mowbray's kind of key attribute is building a team and then leaving it to someone who can take you a little bit further?
1: I think that might be a little unfair to him kind of based on the situation he was in at Borough um, and and probably at Blackburn as well. Although they do seem to be bottling a little bit at the moment. Um, but at Borough, he was definitely working with one anti behind his back in terms of the transfer market. We didn't have a lot of money to spend. He came in right after Gordon Strack and bought the entire SPL and tried to fit them into a championship team. So there wasn't a lot of money there at all. And some of the signings that he made, you look at them now, it's like Faris Haroun from um, uh, Bayer in in Belgium, I think it was, very low fee. Mallory Martin, free transfer. Curtis Main free transfer. I think was playing for Darlington right before he signed for us and ended up playing our first team. I think one of the biggest fees he played uh, paid around that time was Lucas Jukovic, and that, uh, that was about a million. In terms of laying the foundations, it was the likes of Grant Ledbetter, George Friend, Dean Whitehead um, that, that he brought into the team, and, and they were absolute mainstays. Daniel Ayala as well, that, that was pretty much done by the time he was sacked. Um, and then he, he played in Mark Venus's game as caretaker and then went on to to feature, you know, most of the time under under Kranker as well. So by oh, Albert Adormer as well. I I'll forget about him, but he, he he brought in him in. But um, yeah, in terms of laying the foundations, I would say that that was all kind of pretty much done um by by the, the last season when we had a little bit more money to spend. But I I don't know what Quite happened that season. Um, I don't know if the, the confidence was maybe gone by then, but he he did have us playing good football uh, at times. And, and like I said, we, with one hand bit tied behind his back in, in the transfer market, we came quite close to the the playoffs quite a few times. And he he did well with what he had. Um, so I'm, I'm sure uh, you know if backed uh, at Sunderland, he could probably make a team to. To go further than than just laying the foundations. So he's done it before at West Brom, uh getting them at the Premier League. Um so I, I think if backed he could do well. Um it, it's just he, he probably needs that that from from the higher ups. I'm not so sure he had that at Blackburn either. So it, it might be a, a bit of a test for him to kind of get back to, to doing that. But he, he can absolutely do it um and and get you kind of further than like I say just laying the
0: foundations. I think it's funny you mentioned about Moby. He's had gone into a lot of jobs that have been, well, the Venkies was batshit. Um, but like there's a lot of teams where he's gone into and it's kind of like a fixer-upper. Um, he's probably got a bit more freedom with Sunderland where he's got this potentially a little bit more money, a little bit more of a scouting system in there. So fingers crossed, you know, I mean, like I say, he's he's done a great job and he touched and he played good football there. I spoke to West Brom earlier in the year. They said about how good the football was. And some of our goals this season have made us look like Barcelona at points. So I can't really argue with it being the same at Sunderland. Um In terms of the game itself on on Sunday, obviously I wanted to ask a really big question. Now, I think a lot of people know I used to work for Middlesbrough women. So um, I've got a few Borough mates from that kind of era of my life. And, um, Who do Borough fans hate more? Also, are that up the road? I've always felt it was Newcastle, but I want to see if my assumption's actually correct.
1: (laughs) I would definitely say it's Newcastle, out of of everyone kind of up north uh, in in the northeast. I do think there's there's maybe a little bit of a divide based on, on age and where you're located on Teesside. So I think all the fans from across the river in Fornaby, Middlesbrough area hate Leeds more than Sunderland and Newcastle, but like I'm from Billingham. So I'm there's a large Sunderland contingent in Billingham anyway. I'm sure probably some of them are listening to, to this now. So like for me and, and especially growing up on Borough and the Premier League, hate Newcastle. Um, Sunderland to a lesser extent, like I say, one of my best mates is a Sunderland fan. So there's kind of that, in it as well, like you know, when you're in League One, like I was kind of like low-key supporting you just because I want me mate to uh, to be back in the same league. But yeah, it, I think when when I was a kid, it, it was always Newcastle. We we hated more. Um, it might have um, been uh, partly due to the fact as well, and this isn't a dig that Sunderland weren't in the Premier League. At uh, parts uh, of that um, uh, that period, growing up as well, it was always kind of us in Newcastle, which were the mm-hmm. the mainstays. But yeah, de- definitely Newcastle over uh, hated over Sunderland. I think
0: excellent. I've got to uh, agree with that. I far prefer Middlesbrough to Newcastle. That will surprise nobody. Um, in terms of the game itself, obviously Ross Stewart is obviously a huge piece of the jigsaw for Sunderland. Um, and he was obviously injured last time he played you and then subsequently missed the further three months after that. You're on great form, don't get me wrong, but every side at this level has a weak spot, no matter what. Um, with Sunderland having a relatively fully fit squad, where are Middlesbrough weak? Where, if Sunderland are going to win this game, where is it going to be won?
1: See, the the only times I've kind of really seen us get outplayed and, and, and beaten under, under Carrick have been Burnley and Brighton, which, I mean, Carrick's only had three losses. Preston, the first game, was pretty much hard to judge. Um, but the the similarity between Burnley and Brighton was playing a really fast possession style and pressing quite high up the pitch. That being said, we, like I said earlier, we can play through presses and we've done that quite effectively. I think it's just when, when you're playing teams of certain levels, like I say, Burnley or, or Brighton, it, it is much harder to do. Um, that being said, I think possibly our left side, um, for, with with Giles being more attacking, that is probably our one weak point, I think, and especially at the moment as Darrell Lenahan's out injured, or at least he has been for the last couple of games. I don't know what... They they haven't confirmed what the injury is and how long he's going to be out, but I would likely think that it's going to be a centre back pairing of Dale Fry and Paddy McNair, with Paddy McNair playing on the left hand side of that. Which I don't know what he was like for, for you guys and and what what kind of position he was used in. He, he's pretty much played everywhere for us, but I don't I don't like him at centre back. To be honest, I think he's more of a centre midfielder or yeah, you know, I, do. I think the same. Under Chris Wilder, when we played the overlapping centre-backs, so I thought that right-sided centre-back role was absolutely perfect for him, and it, it just kind of didn't work out that way. But, yeah, in terms of our, our defence, it's that left-hand side, and, and we're quite short in defence at the moment with the injuries. We've got Daryl Lenahan, Matt Clark, Anthony Dicedale all out at the moment. So, Fry and are our only options. So, i definitely say it's, it's, it's probably that side of things where... Uh, where we're probably weakest.
0: I think looking at um, Paddy McNair, he was probably best in attacking midfield for us. But the problem was the team was absolutely shite at that point. <laughs> um, as people remember, that was a championship season, which I think was standing in the Premier League season, and then he just got consistently injured. I think he said he did his ACL. Um, came back and when he came back, he was. Scored some really good goals. <laughs> Just the team was rubbish, so it didn't really matter. And then obviously he went to went and The rest is history. Now, obviously, final question is always predictions. But I was I've got an encyclopedic memory of Sunderland games, and even I struggle to remember the last time Sunderland beat Middlesbrough. Um, so I actually Google it, which is unusual for me. The last time we beat you in any competition was 2012 in the FA Cup at the Riverside. The last time Sunderland beat Middlesbrough at the Stadium of was September 2008, when Michael Chopra scored two goals, um, which is a bit worrying and a bit concerning. <laughs> However, when a run of games, you've won, I think, six of the last seven or five of the last six. So that's quite a fair few spread out for a few years. But when you have a run like that in any game, especially if it's derby, quote, unquote, um, you do start thinking... Well, it's got to end at some point. I remember going to St. James's when um the four scored the last time we played Newcastle and thinking, oh, this has got to end at some point. It didn't, but the winning run ended and it ended in a draw. I know there's no such thing as superstition, really, or things changing. It just it's on that 90 minutes. But i'm fans are not worried about this weekend at all.
1: I think you always are about, about Derby games. Like you, you never want to lose them. Um, I know for a fact, because I work with a Sunderland fan as well. If we lose it, I'm getting stick off my best mate. I'm getting stick when I go into, uh, go into work next week. So th- there's always that that thought where I like, oh, really hope we don't lose it. I don't think anyone's worried in like how we're playing or anything like that. Like I say, we're on we're really good form at the moment. It's just it's always like a perfect storm, isn't it? We're on good form. We haven't lost lost there since two thousand and eight. We were linked with Ross Stewart consistently over the last two windows. Summit's got to give, and it'll probably end up being like one nil Sunderland or something, and 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 you know we'll be absolutely fuming with it. But yeah, I, I I don't think based on how we're we're playing at the moment, anyone's kind of looking at it like oh God, like like not really not looking forward uh, to this game I think every, everyone is kind of still really up for it
0: I'm actually really excited for the game I think um, I think Borough is one of those games where I don't see it as a derby at all however when you get in the kind of stadium be it Riverside the stadium like the atmosphere is always decent and we want to get stuck into each other and suddenly it becomes a derby for like 90 minutes and I think the way both sides are playing we both play attack and possession-based football. I think we're both really nice sides to to watch from what you said before. And obviously your results show that. I think we're a very nice football side to watch as well. And there's a lot of good attacking players on both sides. And last time we played each other, we were both not that good. We drew 3-3. That was probably because both defences weren't that good that day. I'm going to say... 2-2. 2-2. I think high score and draw would be my prediction, but bear in mind I've got one of them, two of them right this season, so I'm not very good at predictions, so it's probably not going to be 2-2. If you're a betting person, never ever listen to what my predictions are, but um, Tom, what's, what's your prediction?
1: Well, I've got to stick with what I said on our pod on, on Sunday, so I've got 2-1 Borough, um, but I do have Ross Stewart scoring in that, because I just think it's pretty much nailed on to happen. Uh, like I say, he's been linked with us the last two windows, and like I say, I, I, I don't think... Like, I th- I think he's a, a, a pretty safe with him at the moment. I don't believe he's he's going anywhere. And I mean we've just signed Cameron Archer, so I think that pretty much ended our interest in him, but he's he's definitely gonna score. <laughs> um I just I, I think at the moment we tend to go in at half time, even if we're losing one 0 like we did at Blackburn, knowing that we're going to come out for the second half better and we can turn it around. Um, so, one of the things I would look out for if, uh, if I was you guys would be a kind of big second-half improvement from Borough. I think that's that's become kind of a quite a regular thing in our, our last few games. So, like I say, even if it's 1-0 at half-time, I still fancy us to come back and turn it around. So, I'll, I'll stick with 2-1.
0: In terms of, obviously, the podcast, I'm going to be on yours directly after this, so Sunderland fans, if they want to hear how well I represent something or how well I don't represent and um, where can the, the find the Borough Breakdown? Because it is a great part. Obviously, I worked with you beforehand when I was at Borough Women, and um, it's something that I, I naturally do tune into, but where can it be found if other people haven't heard it before?
1: So we're on all podcast streaming apps, uh, Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts, also on YouTube um, under the, uh, if you just say Borough Breakdown, you'll find our channel on there. Um, and also, if you if you want to kind of look at any um, you know of our social content, we always do kind of snippets from the pods. Uh, that's a Borough underscore breakdown on Twitter, and then we're on Facebook and Instagram as well under Borough breakdown.
0: Perfect, Tom. Pleasure as always. mate. Absolutely zero luck when it comes to Sunday, but um, go on. I wish I wish you luck for the rest of the season. Like I say, I do oh, too. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.